Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Graham. I'm the pastor here at the church, and it's a real joy to welcome you to our Easter Sunday service, the day that Christians around the world and down the ages know and celebrate as being the greatest day in history. Now, you might be wondering why on earth would somebody think that? Well, why don't you grab a Bible and come with me to the Gospel of John and to chapter 20. This is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 20. And as you're turning there, let me read to you some lyrics taken from one of the best-selling songs. It was on one of the best-selling albums that came out in the UK in 2005. And see if you recognize the, the song. The lyrics go like this. When the tears come streaming down your face, when you lose something that you can't replace, when you love someone but it goes to waste, could it be worse? Fix You by Coldplay. 1.25 million people in the UK apparently bought that single when it first came out. Many more bought the album as well. 1.25 million people. That's a lot of people. Which tells you something, doesn't it, about something of the song and that it was resonating deep within human hearts. Let me just ask you as you maybe think on that today, when was the last time that tears came streaming down your face? You know, we cry for all sorts of reasons, don't we, as human beings? The the person who cries tears of jubilation when their team have just won the Premier League. The child who cries tears of pain when they fall off their bike. The parent who cries tears of joy when they have just witnessed the birth of their first child. There's all sorts of reasons that we cry in life. But I guess the thing to see is that that song is talking about another type of tears, isn't it? You know, rumour has it that Chris Martin wrote that song to help his wife at the time, Gwyneth Paltrow, process the, the death of her father. And we know that to be true, don't we? That's a pain that we all know in our own lives. And I imagine it's a pain that, that many people around our world at the minute know for themselves right now. And maybe it's a pain that you know in your life, even as you watch this. The tears that we shed when death so cruelly takes from us somebody that we love. And we're left with that feeling deep down in our souls that this isn't the way it was supposed to be. Now, whoever you are here today, wherever this uh, video catches you, whatever you believe about this God, the God of the Bible, let me just pitch you a question, one question to take us through the sermon today. And it's in those moments, where do you run? Where do you go? As the tears come streaming down your face. You see, the thing is about the original Easter Sunday, just as we tap into John chapter 20 today, the curtain opens on this chapter, the first Easter Sunday morning, and you see how we see a woman who's crying her eyes out. In fact, you might notice we're told four times, if you've got your Bibles there, four times in these verses that this lady is weeping. She's heartbroken. She's distraught. She's confused. She's inconsolable. Here is Mary Magdalene. Now, 
Magdalene's not her surname, okay? Magdala is the name of the little fishing village where it's most likely she comes from. So Mary Magdalene's kind of like her nickname, the one that the disciples gave her to differentiate her from the other Marys who were on the scene. Mary Magdalene, there's all sorts of trashy rumour mill stories that are circulating even today about Mary Magdalene. We don't know an awful lot about her and her past, but there's one thing we know about her past. And it's the fact that she has a very troubled past. You see, when we first meet this woman in the Gospels, we're told that uh, demons previously tormented her. Now, whatever that means, what we can say is that she was a really poor soul. Right? She was a really troubled soul. There was no glittering career prospects ahead for Mary. There was no Mr. Darcy coming over the hill to pick her up to take her to the prom. There's no provision of a healthcare system that's going to help her in her time of need. There's no knight in shining armour who's coming over the hill who can make things better for Mary. That's what she doesn't have. But you know what she probably does have? She probably does have people in her village thinking that she's the crazy lady every time they see her crossing the road. And while the world turned away from Mary from Magdala, in her life, Jesus turned toward her in compassion and love. While the world walked by, Jesus reached out and he lifted this woman up. He freed Mary from her demons and he forgave Mary of her sin. Jesus gave Mary life. And flowing from that deep sense of gratitude and love deep within her heart, Mary joins the, the close circle of disciples who traveled with Jesus on his long journeys. And, and so as we come to John 20, Mary Magdalene, here's what we need to take in about what she's seen. She's seen Jesus triumphantly enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. She's standing there by the cross as he's crucified on Good Friday. She witnesses his body being taken down and placed in a tomb and she sees the stone that's rolled in front of it. And to compound her misery, she goes to the tomb early on Sunday morning and that same stone has been rolled away. Now what Mary probably thinks has happened is that a band of grave robbers have been and gone. Not uncommon in this day for people to try and rob tombs to try and get the clothes off the body to make a really quick buck. So here's Mary, and this is where we kick into our verses today at verse 11, right? It's early on the first Easter Sunday. Mary's outside the tomb, and she's bawling her eyes out. Do you see how she's right there in those Coldplay lyrics? Truly, she has lost somebody who she can't replace. This is her. This is where she is. And she looks into the tomb, and there's two angels inside. Now notice in the text that they are at either end of where Jesus' body was. Now, given that on the Friday, Jesus is crucified with two men on either side of him as he dies on a cross, maybe we get a little taste here of what's going on. As God the Father is vindicating the work of his son on the cross. But Mary sees these angels, they ask her why she is crying. They've taken my Lord, she says. And she turns around and she sees the risen Jesus in his resurrection body. And it seems that she doesn't recognize his face. 
And verse 15, Jesus, Jesus asks her, do you see it? Why are you weeping? Who is it that you are looking for? Now, here's the thing. Is if you pause and think about it, the thing about those questions, it's not as if Jesus doesn't know the answer. Oh, it was me you're looking for? Oh, why didn't you just say? He knows the answers to these questions. So what's going on? Well, here is Jesus lovingly drawing out Mary's heart here and allowing her in this moment to see the earth-shattering significance of this moment. She doesn't recognize him. Here's what I love. What does she think? Who does she think he is? She thinks he is the gardener, which I always think is quite funny, right? I wonder if, if Jesus was carrying a pitchfork and wearing a John Deere tractor sweatshirt. I doubt it. On one level, Mary's so wrong. Why would she think this? And why would it be recorded? But on another level, whether she meant this or not, what she thought was so utterly profound. You see, the Bible story begins in a garden. It's a garden full of abundance and, and goodness. It's a beautiful place, which tells us everything that we need to know about the God who created it. God put Adam and Eve there to work it, to enjoy it, to develop it and to steward it for his glory, all the while living in that perfect relationship with their creator. Things are great. In fact, the things are more than great. They are very good. And God gives them one rule. He says, don't eat from that tree. And yet the bully, the Adam and Eve buy the lie of Satan and they do and chaos reigns. As sin enters the human condition, as sin spreads to every human heart. Sin is more than just bad behavior. The things that you and I do and don't do all the time is, is deeper than that. It's an inner disposition that we all have that wants to reject God doesn't love him, doesn't honour him as he deserves to be loved and honoured and instead forces our own way. And our sin, it's a, it's, it offends God and it's separated us from him and it's left us deserving to be on the wrong end of his righteous judgment. Our sin, humanity's sin, has put us out of the garden separated from God, away from him. That's mankind's predicament, out with faith in the person and in the work of Jesus. And yet here in John 20, what is Mary thinking? What is going on? The dots are being joined. Mary identifying Jesus as the one who is making a way for there to be, as it were, a new garden where we can know God's presence through his work, knowing the peace of being right with our creator, basking in the joy of fully knowing him as we were designed to know him. You see, Adam's life brought death and guilt for us. Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin and brought us life and forgiveness. 
And so as he rises and as, as God installs him as heaven's king, the one to whom all knees will one day bow, so the sun rises on a brand new world where all those who in faith would take this Jesus to be their saviour and their king would know life eternal with this great God. Yes, now, but gloriously, fully, one day in this new creation. And in that sense, Mary's bang on the money. Jesus is the gardener par excellence. And so it's time for Jesus to reveal himself to Mary. And let me just draw out in the remaining time we have left three quick things from these verses, which I hope encourage your heart no end this Easter Sunday. And so here's the first of these. Firstly, notice how Jesus calls Mary out. And I love this. This is wonderful. See what Jesus calls her. Do you see how Jesus doesn't go casual? He doesn't say, hey, oi, look. He doesn't go generic. He doesn't say woman. He goes personal. You see it? goes personal. Mary. He uses her name. So lovely in life, isn't it, when people use our names? Like in Starbucks, when they take your order and they write your name in the side of the cup, seeking to add just that little personal touch to it. And I've had all sorts of weird and wonderful spellings with Graham down the years, let me tell you. <laughs> One time it just said in the cup, G-R-I-M, Grim, which, if I'm honest, perfectly captured my mood that day. But they write your name on the cup, but as nice as it is, they don't know you. They don't know me. No, that's true in life, isn't it? Just because somebody uses your name doesn't mean that they know you. But that is not the case with Jesus. What's going on here? Here is the good shepherd in action. John chapter 10, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Shepherd. Here he is. How is he the good shepherd? Well, he knows and he calls his sheep each individually by their name. And so contained in this one word is Jesus saying, Mary, my child, I'm here. Take heart. Be comforted. Know that I hold your life in my Hand. You see, that is the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his people. He calls us by name and we respond to his voice. We know his voice in our lives. Do you notice that while Mary doesn't recognize his face, she knows his voice? Here is the good shepherd calling to one of his sheep and saying, I'm here. And friends, you and I can know his voice today as we open the pages of our Bibles. And I wonder if some of us need to take great comfort from that truth this Easter Sunday. Jesus calls her out. Secondly, notice very quickly that Jesus welcomes her in. You see, her life might in many ways look insignificant. But Jesus wants her to grasp the truth that because of him, she is now part of something truly magnificent. Verse 17. And notice in this little section, and what Jesus says here, notice the vertical and the horizontal dimensions to what he's saying. 
Because Jesus explains to her, doesn't he, that he's going to ascend and hear the language in his voice. He's going to ascend to his father and her father. He's going to ascend to his God and her God. And so Mary, who was once a stranger to God because of her sin, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for her, is now beckoned to come and know this wonderful privilege of knowing her creator God as her father. In the same way that Jesus knows him as his father. What an incredible blessing. One that is the right of every single Christian the world over down the ages. How dare we use this? How dare we call God our Father? Yes, because of Jesus Christ and his work for us. Oh, what a wonderful privilege. And then you see Jesus telling her that she has to go tell his brothers, Jesus's brothers. This, there's a new family relationship being established here. So Mary is now part of this new global family of faith. As Jesus gathers for himself through the ages, a people from all corners of the earth, a people from all walks of life, a people doing all sorts of different jobs, a people with all sorts of different interests, a people from all different generations, a people from every tribe, tongue and nation called to be Jesus's one church and who Jesus says brothers and sisters to incredible privileges Jesus calling his people out with the express purpose of living for and worshiping him and thirdly notice how Jesus sends Mary on you know there are many privileges in life Maggie who was on just a, a few moments ago I always remember I got chosen last year to go and meet the Queen at Buckingham Palace. What an incredible privilege that is. But even the greatest privilege is nothing compared to the one that is bestowed on Mary here as she becomes the first witness to the risen Jesus. What an honour, what a privilege. And you have to say what a surprise in many ways that Mary would be the first witness. But then again, this is the God of the Bible. He is the God who is in the business of lifting up the humble and casting down the proud. The God who uses the weak and the seemingly insignificant things of this world to shame the strong. And so the God who chose the shepherds to be the first messengers of the news about the birth of his son now chooses this Mary, who, if we're honest, has not got a lot going for her in many ways except a devoted and a loving heart to be the first herald about the news of his risen son. And she runs and she proclaims, the theme that has been the anthem of the church down the ages and the one which fuels Christian mission across the globe, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that is great news. That is the gospel. That is the, the, the message that's at the heart of the Christian faith. 
Jesus lived, he died, he rose, and one day he will return. The famous words of Christian missionary Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so here is Mary Magdalene. And we don't know what happened to her after this point. You go on Google, you'll find all sorts of weird and wonderful attempts at it. But the truth is, we just don't know. But what's almost for certain is that life wouldn't have been all rainbows and unicorns for Mary after this point. I mean, if you're carrying this message to a world about the guy who the world wanted dead, it ain't going to go well for you, I'd imagine. Imagine that life for her would have been the same as it was for the other disciples who took the message of the risen Jesus to the world. It's funny, I was reminded of this the other night as I was reading. Do you know what I was reading? I was reading Where's Wally? With my kids, a lad, but I was reading Where's Wally? On one of the pages, she had to find Wally in the, in the Colosseum in Rome. So we're sitting there, the three of us, looking for him. And, and the girls say to me, Daddy, Daddy, what does it say at the top? And I read to them the caption at the top. And it simply read, Here in Rome are the Christians being thrown to the lions. And so they're off, they're trying to look for Wally, they're trying to look for the wizard. And I'm struck by that comment. And I'm led to think of the first disciples. I'm led to think of my brothers and sisters who first carried the torch for Christ. Because that was the reality for those who followed Jesus. Sure, that would have been the reality for Mary. But what's for certain is that Mary would have known pain in her life. She would have known the loss of loved ones. She would have known herself what it is like to feel that you are on your way out of this world, that you are dying. She would have died. Let me ask you, where do you run in those moments? When the tears come streaming down your face. When you lose someone, something you can't replace. When you lose someone but it goes to waste. What could be worse? Where do you go? Answer. The invitation as we look at Mary here and as we look at the risen Jesus is we have got nowhere else to run but to the man who has defeated death and is alive forevermore. We are called to run to the risen Jesus. Mary's saviour lives. He lives. You see, Mary's not got hope. Mary's got Christ, and Christ is her living hope. And because he died, and because he now lives, she one day too, no matter what happens to her, even though she dies, will one day live with Jesus forever. He is our living hope. He is the hope of every single Christian down the ages in this world. Jesus Christ crucified, risen, returning. The one who we read at the end of the Bible is the one who will make all things new. The one who will wipe away every tear. The one who will banish death forever for we will be in God's perfect kingdom. Here is Jesus standing victorious, having conquered the grave, having atoned for our sin. Here is the lamb that was slain 
And here is the roaring lion of Judah who has defeated the power of sin and death. And so even in our darkest moments, and friends, we don't know what's going to happen over the next few months. But what we can know is that even in the shadow of the valley of death, here is a shepherd who walks close with his people. And here is a shepherd who has given his life so that his people could go free. And here is a shepherd who, even in our darkest moments, invites us to come and put our faith and him in him and join in the chorus, the one that's been the anthem of the church down the ages. And with this we close. It goes like this. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my saviour lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Let me pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. And that even as we journey through the uncertainty of this life, that as we look at the crucified, risen, and one day returning Jesus, we can have hope. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to look to him and have our eyes fixed on him. Father, thank you that you love us. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and perfect name. Amen.